Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Amen. If you would turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. You know, the Bible says in the New Testament, Paul teaches us that the Old Testament is given to us as an example. The Old Testament was written not just as a news story documenting what happened before Jesus came, but that there's actually so much in the Old Testament that we are called by God to learn from and to learn as an example. When he says that the Old Testament is an, is an example, it means two things. It means, number one, that like everything in Scripture, everything points to Jesus. Amen? You can find Jesus on every page of the Bible. Amen? Everything, in, even the leaves on the trees out there talk about Jesus. I mean, everything around us points to him. It's all for him. So when we hear about the Old Testament being an example, first of all, we need to understand that, that everything in the Old Testament is a type, it's a representation, it's a prophetic foretelling of the coming of Christ. Secondly, we need to understand that these stories give to us principles for our lives that we need to draw wisdom from. Amen. How many of you figured out that a principle works for everybody in every situation all the time? Amen? So we're going to extract some principles this morning out of Numbers chapter 13. The title of my message today is Reach. Reach. How to stretch your faith when God is inviting you to grow. How to stretch your faith when God is inviting you to grow. I'm going to read from Numbers 13 verses 21 through 33. Follow along if you if you can. It says, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath. It's out by Meat Camp, if you were wondering. They went up through the south and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt, and when they came to the valley of Eskol, there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. If you were here last week, you'll never read the word cluster of grapes the same way. Amen? How many of you are thankful for Pastor Ron and Denise last week? Wasn't that awesome? They came to the valley of Eskol, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes that they had to carry between two of them on a pole. It's a lot of grapes. They also brought down some of the pomegranates and the figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. How many of you have a picture so far of what's going on? These men of Israel have gone into what God has called their promised land. This is the land which God gave them. And they're spying it out to take it over. 
Verse 26, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all of the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once. And take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against this people. They are stronger than we. You ever felt like you were facing something stronger than you? Come on, be honest. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, This land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. You know, that never made any sense to me, Frankie. They said the land devours its inhabitants. They were just in the land and didn't get devoured. That's like saying this fire burns everybody that touches it, but then they touch the fire and don't get burned. That doesn't make any sense. Let's keep reading. This is a land through which we have gone as spies, and it's a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Chapter 14, verse 1. Watch this. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. Isn't it amazing that 10 people with a negative report could influence an entire nation to let go of vision and weep all night long? Kind of makes you think twice about what you listen to. Amen. Kind of makes you think twice about what you feed on. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, kind of makes you think twice about the friends that you hang out with. Amen. I'll say amen anyway. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this opportunity that we have to receive from your word. We don't take it lightly, Lord, but rather we take it joyfully with excitement. We don't take it casually, but we're anticipating and we're expecting you to speak to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, breathe upon your word that we might receive from it and grow and be developed and be strengthened, that we might be stretched in the places we need to be stretched, that we might be comforted in the places we need to be comforted so that we can grow up into your vision for our lives, God. We ask you these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said Amen. 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 This is such an amazing passage of scripture and one that I have visited frequently throughout the years that I've walked with the Lord. 
it's, uh, it's really interesting to watch the turn that happens, the change or the shift that happens in the people that are in these verses. Because when they first come back from spying out the land, at first it seems like it's going to be good. And then slowly as we read through the passage, it just kind of turns and it goes to negative town. Amen? Y'all ever been to negative town before? <laughs> Y'all ever meet the mayor of negative town? I think I've met him once or twice. <laughs> but I want us to um, talk through and, and, and learn through this passage because I believe there's some stuff in this passage that we can learn that will help us to use our faith during times of growth and transition. How many of you realize that the, the children of Israel, having just come through the wilderness, had actually experienced the miraculous hand of God already many times over? This, this is at the beginning of their 40 years in the wilderness. So Egypt's still very fresh on their mind. They haven't gotten the Ten Commandments yet. They haven't, they haven't had a lot of the wilderness experiences, but they got to see the Red Sea. Everybody that was standing at the Jordan River there had already come through the Red Sea. It's incredible. Now, what's interesting to me is that there, if you read the book of Numbers, you find some really wild things out. I didn't know this until recently, that the, that the people that were in the wilderness were not just the Hebrews. There was two to three million Hebrews that came out of the land of Egypt, but there was actually amongst that two to three million a bunch of other nations that were represented as well. So what's interesting is that when we read about the, the wilderness people, there's, there's God's chosen people, and then there's a bunch of other folks that kind of infiltrated them. And I find that interesting because though these people had got to see the acts of God, some of them were not God's covenanted people, and so they didn't have a heart to seek after God. So it's really interesting who you connect yourself to and who you spend time with, who you have built covenant developed relationships with. Amen? You want to be careful who you spend time with. Let me put it to you this way. You want to be careful who has access to speak into your life. Amen? You don't, you don't just want to open your heart up to anybody and everybody. Amen. My sister is here this morning. Hi. And we were, she's here from California. Yeah, go ahead. And let's give her a round of applause. Woo. She and I were talking on the phone last week, and we were, we were having a conversation about this very idea. And I say, like, you know, Laura, people don't just get to have access to your heart as soon as they meet you. Trust takes time. Something that is earned over time. And I find it interesting that there's a bunch of people intermingled into the nation of Israel at this point. And so I find it very interesting that, that all it takes is a negative report to shift an entire nation because that nation had partnered itself with a bunch of people who weren't in covenant with God. It's pretty wild. So they're standing at the Jordan River, and I titled the message, Reach. Because it's almost like they could reach the promised land from where they were. Literally. I mean, the Jordan River's not that wide. If you go look at it, and if you think about practically how you cross a river, you often go to its narrowest point, right? If you're going to cross. So this really wasn't like a 10-mile river that they had to figure out. In fact, this was way smaller than the Red Sea. Way smaller, right? I'm getting a little bit of a middle or something. Sorry. Thank you, guys. 
our crack squad of audio engineers in the back there doing a great job. Um, so they're probably, I would guess, at the most narrow part of a river that's already not super wide across. Having come through the Red Sea and recognizing the Red Sea was way wider, way more difficult, and we had Pharaoh and half of Egypt bearing down on us. And God somehow delivered us out of that situation. This should be cakewalk. So they get to the edge of the promised land, the place that God said belonged to them. And they send these 12 guys in. Y'all know the story. One person from every tribe of Israel. And Caleb and Joshua, great, great name. Caleb and Joshua are the only ones who come back with anything good to say about the land. Let's pick up this story and see what we can learn out of it. Verse 27, let's read that again. says, then they told him, this is Moses, they told Moses, we went to the land, excuse me, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. Stop right there for a second. They go into the land, and when they get there, they find out it's exactly like God says it was going to be. Duh. Hello. They get to the land. And it's precisely what God said it was going to be. God said, you're going to go into this land. You're going to find that it's abundant. It's a land of milk and honey. And, and guess what? There's going to be some giants there. Don't worry about those guys. We're going to take care of them together. And just go in and do what, you, you know, do what I'm telling you to do. This is going to be your land of abundance. This is going to be where you're going to live and settle. And life's going to be awesome. Welcome to the promised land. Good to have you. And they get there. And sure enough, everything God said about the land is exactly what they see. You would have thought they'd been elbowing each other, going, bro, look at this. It's exactly what God said. Could you believe it? Can you believe it? This is exactly what God said we were going to see. No, instead, all they saw were giants. So much so that they had to look past all the good things to find the problem. More on that in just a moment. They saw the promised land, and they saw, we could live here. We could live here. But if we do, if we move in to this neighborhood, chances are it's going gonna, it's gonna to devour us. We're going to die. What, what, what happens in the heart of a person in the mind of a person, when, when we say to God that the promise he prepared for us isn't good enough. Selah. <laughs> I mean, did you ever do that? I have. Have you ever had a moment where you say, Lord, I, this, this relationship... It's good, but it's not that good. Hey, Lord, you know, I've been believing for a job for a while. I'm so glad that you gave me this job. Now, if you could just do something about my crazy boss. I love this job. The money's great. I hate the hours and the people. 
Have you ever found fault with one of God's fulfilled promises in your life? I have. (laughs) Sometimes we need to turn that frown upside down. Can you say amen? They saw the obstacle. And listen, this this is one of the takeaways, okay? They saw the promise. And within the promise, they saw an obstacle. And here's the takeaway. They had more to say about the obstacle than they had to say about the promise. Did you get that? Let me say it again for the people in the balcony. They had they got to the promised land. And they saw the promise. And lo and behold, it was exactly what God said it would be. Because he doesn't lie. How many of you figured that out? God's not a liar. It was exactly what they expected because God had already set them up and told them what it was going to be. And while they're looking at the promise, they found an obstacle and all they could do was talk about the obstacle instead of talking about the promise. There's a faith lesson in this for us. Sometimes when God is bringing us into a transitionary moment where we're going to have to cross out of the wilderness and cross into the promised land that God gave us, you know, there's going to be obstacles. What do we need to do? Retrain your mouth. Retrain your mouth. Put some duct tape over your mouth. Be like a thumper from Bambi. Y'all remember Bambi? Y'all remember Thumper the Rabbit? What did his mom say to him? If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. Hello. They got to the promise, and all they could do was talk about the obstacle. Then one thing happens. Go to verse 30. The whole group of 10 spies has just gotten done rehearsing and and declaring their negative report. I have to imagine that the 10 of them had gotten together first. It's all right, guys, what are we going to tell Moses? Hey, wait, wait till Joshua and Caleb walk over there. Okay, good, it's just us 10. All right, what are we going to tell Moses? These crazy pioneers over here have this idea of grandeur, like we're going to, you know, take this land by force. We're the reasonable ones. We're the smart ones. Let's figure out what we're going to tell Moses. All right, Bobby, you're going to tell them about the Amalekites. When you're done, Timmy over here is going to tell them about the Jebusites. Then I'm going to sing a long, drawn-out song and do a little dance about the Moabites. And once we cover all the ites, Moses will realize this land is not a good land. Then something happens in verse 30. This is a little glimmer of hope in an otherwise sad story. Y'all doing okay this morning? Don't worry, it's about to get gooder. Then Caleb, verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. We are well able to overcome it. Caleb didn't even need to get packed. Caleb didn't even want to sit around and have a meal first. Caleb said, y'all, Are you finished? Shut up. Let's go up at once and take this land. Okay, y'all done? Y'all done singing your song about the ites? All right, Joshua and I have a different perspective. Let's go up at once. 
Let's get them when they least expect us. Let's creep into that land and vanquish every single obstacle that stands in our way. Because why? God told us we could have that land. This is his idea, not ours. Come on. You got one guy in this story with an ounce of faith. One. Listen to what it says here. Caleb, what did he do? He quieted the people before Moses. See, we often focus on the let us go up at once and take possession. I've preached this scripture many times before, and I always get excited about his words. As I was reading it this time, I noticed Caleb quieted the people. Because these 10 spies that had their bad report, they got everybody stirred up. Isn't it funny how negativity will just spread through a large group of people really fast? And everybody all of a sudden gets really riled up. What did Caleb do? Shh. Hey, hey, hey. Hold on. Let's see what Moses has to say. Everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. Can I tell you how valuable it is for you to have people in your life who will quiet the doubt in your head? Can I tell you about how valuable it is to have the kinds of connections with people who will actually quiet the unbelief that's trying to find a root in your heart? Maybe you're having an off day and you feel like your faith isn't worth a whole lot and you feel like a failure and, you know, every one of us have those days from time to time. You feel like nothing's working the way it's supposed to and my prayers aren't answered and the devil's right there to just remind you how terrible of a Christian you are and how, how, how much faith you let slip through your fingers. And boy, oh boy, if there was a failure, if there ever was a failure, it sure is you. Anybody ever had the devil talk to him like that? What a rascal. He's a dirtbag. I'm telling you what. Praise God he's defeated. Amen. I said, praise God, he's defeated. Can I tell you that in those moments, what you need is somebody who will quiet your heart for you? Is somebody who will come alongside of you and quiet the doubt and quiet the unbelief? And you just feel like, oh man, I just, I'm, I'm just a train wreck going somewhere to happen. And you got that friend or those people or those folks at church or the people in your small group or your pastors or the people that you trust and they put their arm around you and say, shh, that's not God's word. That's not what the promise looks like. No, 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 no. Don't believe that. Caleb quieted the people. Verse 31, what do they do? Verse 31 says, but then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against this people for they're stronger than we are. The lie of the enemy is always diametrically opposed to the promise that God gives you. Amen. It may be subtle. It may come to you in some sneaky backdoor kind of way. But when you stack it up, nose to nose, the lie of the enemy is always completely contrary to what the truth of God's word says. Amen. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you're believing God, let's say, for healing in your body, and, and you've prayed, and it's been a couple days, and nothing has changed, and all of a sudden, the, the enemy comes and starts to like play a movie in your mind, right? He starts to show you pictures and images and ideas of how what your condition is and, and how much worse it's actually going to get before you eventually just cripple over and die. 
How many of you figured out that the end of the devil's movies are never triumphant? And he'll show you that all the time. And, and, and meanwhile, the Bible says, I have come, Jesus said in John 10, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And, and the promise of God for you is life. And the lie of the enemy, the movie that he's showing you, is a slow, miserable, eventual death. The lie is always opposed to the truth. Amen. They decide in verse 31 that they couldn't go up. Now, verse 32, and all the way down through the end of the chapter and into chapter 14, they begin to find fault in the promise. Ouch. I want you to find, well, just watch the progress or the process. Excuse me, it's not progress, the opposite of progress. Watch the process that happens here. The first thing they do is they begin to find fault in the promise. Oh, yeah, Lord. It's a great land if it weren't for all those dumb giants. Oh, yeah, Lord, it's a great land. Nice thing, nice country you got prepared for us. Why didn't you take care of the cities, Lord? Like a bunch of spoiled brats. Amen. Can I tell the truth on our flesh for just a second? Your flesh is a spoiled brat. Amen. How many of you got kids in this room? Y'all know what it's like. Amen. Y'all know what it's like to have some kids that just want to do their own thing? despite your graciousness and your love for them. <laughs> your flesh, my flesh, we're spoiled rotten, man. We're spoiled rotten. And that's what these guys are like. They, they're starting to find faults in God's promise. He prepared this beautiful land for them, gave it to Abraham, and then... About 600 years later, these guys move in to take over the land God already gave to them, to Abraham, and all they can do is find faults. Can I, do, can I tell you something, give you a little piece of free advice? Don't, don't put a no where God put a yes. Amen. Don't say, don't say no for God when he's saying yes. Don't find fault in the promise. Then what, what, what happens to them is after they find fault in the promise, they do this. They begin to justify where they are. Think about it. The promise is out in front of them. All they got to do is reach and take it. But they can't because they've identified too many faults in what God has prepared for them. They've identified what they believe to be too big of an obstacle. And so... What's the very next thing that they have to now do is figure out and justify where they are, right? Oh, well, you know, the wilderness isn't so bad. I mean, we're here by the Jordan River. It's pretty comfortable. I like boats. I like to fish. I mean, God, you know, he's, he's going to bring us manna every day. He's going to bring us quail every single night. You're not going to have to raise any livestock. This wilderness thing, it's kind of cool. See, they begin to justify where they are. And then what happens? They find fault in the promise. They justify their location. And then they stay there and weep. <laughs> it's 
quiet in this church this morning. Y'all all right? Just pinch your neighbor, make sure they're breathing. Hallelujah. They find fault in the promise. They justify where they are. Like a toddler with a poopy diaper. This is my poopy diaper. And then when the rash kicks in, they weep. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you something? And please hear my words because I'm not trying to be hard. But this is just the truth. Depressed, miserable Christians are the ones who got stuck in between a promise and the wilderness. Depressed Christians are the ones who got stuck in between the promise and the wilderness. You know what we like to call that? The comfort zone. The comfort zone. You see, God is inviting you and he's inviting me into a greater season of impact in our community and beyond. And it's going to require of us that we get out of the comfort zone, face the obstacles, get a little bit uncomfortable, get your feet wet, walk into the, walk into the Jordan River, and step into the promised land. You're not going to be able to sit and gather, gather manna all morning every day. It's not going to be served up to you on a silver platter for the rest of your life. There's a promised land that's going to require some cultivation. But the reality is what you cultivate in the kingdom of God, God adds the increase to. So in Egypt, grapes looked like they were this big a cluster. In the promised land, you can't wrap your arms around them. But it's going to require some cultivation. It's going to require a little bit of discomfort. You're going to have to take a step before you have everything figured out. How are we going to deal with the giants? I don't know. God said we were. Let's get our feet wet. You know, it's interesting. God, in both these bodies of water, God parts them. Did you ever notice that? Both these bodies of water, God parts them. In the Red Sea... God parted it because of the leader, because Moses went in and God said, Moses, stretch forth your staff. Nobody got wet. Moses just stood out on the banks of the Red Sea, stretched out his staff, and whew. Y'all saw the movies. Y'all saw Prince of Egypt, right? Charlton Heston, his big bare chest and, you know stick. He, he stretched out his staff and what happened? Whoosh! The waters parted. It was different in the Jordan. Moses didn't go first. Who went first? The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The symbol of Jesus. The symbol of Jesus. And what happened? The priests had to get their feet wet. Not the leader. The leader, the leader was the one who went out in the front and, and took care of the Red Sea. Now God's calling the children of Israel to rise up a little bit and get into the, get into the water first and get their feet wet. And all they got to do is carry the Ark of God's covenant with them. And then the water will do its thing. Isn't that amazing? 
You know, God's raising up people in this church, in this body, that are called to lead the rest of us into the water. Amen. Oh, boy. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Now, what can we learn from this story about using our faith during times of growth and transition? Because at the end of the day, this story is about transition. It's, it's, it's about going from where we are and what's comfortable to going where God wants us to, which is beyond our comfort. God's going to ask you to do some things in the coming season that are outside of your comfort zone. Are you ready? God's going to ask you to step into the water a little bit and get your feet a little wet and carry with you the symbol of God's covenant. Just like the, just like the, uh, the, the, the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, you and I have the real covenant living on the inside of us. That's Jesus, amen? And, and, and God's going to call some of us to walk and step into the water carrying Jesus in us and see some miraculous things take place because there's a lot of people who may not be in this room yet that need to follow us across into what God has for us. Are you ready to be a trailblazer? You ready to be a river walker? River walker in her? Amen. So what can we learn from this story? In the last 10 or so minutes, I want to share with you six things. If you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. What can we learn from this story about using our faith during times of growth and during times of transition? Number one, bold letters. Number one, transition is needed for growth. Transition is needed for growth. You are not going to get where God wants you to go if you're not willing to leave where you are. It's the first thing God ever said to Abraham. God shows up to Abraham he says, I'm your, I'm your uh, exceedingly great reward. He said, I'm the Lord. I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. And he said, he said, come out of your father's land. Leave the Ur of the Chaldeans and go to a land that I will show you. Happens to be this land we're talking about, by the way. Anytime you want to get where God wants you to go, you're going to have to leave what's comfortable and you're going to have to leave where you are. Transition is required from gro- for growth. The flying trapeze artist can't get to the next trapeze till they jump off the trapeze they're on. Y'all ever watch the circus? You see them guys fly through the air? They're kind of crazy, aren't they? Especially when they take the net away. It's like, Ugh. I, I remember sitting in my sister's house one time watching Nick Walenda. Y'all know who Nick Walenda is? Walk across Niagara Falls had special significance for me because that's where we were born. And, and I know exactly where he was standing. And he walked across the gulf between the gorge, between Niagara Falls, uh, New York, and Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada. And, and, you know, he did it successfully. He walked across crazy. But he did it. And here's the reality. You don't get to get to Canada until you leave the United States. 
You don't, you, don't get to, you don't get to do something nobody's ever done before until you leave the place that you are. It's far more comfortable on solid ground. It's far more comfortable on the promise on the other side. But there's an in-between that absolutely is uncomfortable and totally requires faith. I'll say amen. Glory to God. There's an in-between outside of your comfort zone that requires your faith. Transition is needed for growth. Matter of fact, this is the number one reason that people don't grow. It's because they don't want to change. They don't want to transition. They don't want to get out of where they are. Amen. Number one, transition is needed for growth. Number two, faith is needed for transition. If transition is needed for growth, then we understand that it's our faith that's needed for transition. Number three, this is something we learn from this story. Number three, when God is ready to take you forward, when it's time to grow, you will be faced with something to overcome. When God is ready to take you forward, when it is time to grow, you will be faced with something to overcome. Can I tell you in the nicest way possible, if you never have anything to overcome, you're not doing anything. Amen. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying and don't take that to some crazy extreme. If all you're doing is running up against the wall and facing problems you can't seem to overcome, you may want to adjust. You may want to back up and make sure you're doing the thing God's called you to do. But here's the reality. God always leads you into conflicts that he has created you to win. His desire, he's always setting you up for success. So there's always going to be something to overcome. See, oftentimes we make the mistake of trying to determine whether or not we're in God's will by the opposition. That's not how you determine whether you're in God's will. You determine whether or not you're in God's will by what he has said in his word and what he's confirmed to you in your heart. We learn to, we learn to be in God's will by obedience, right? Let's monkey see, monkey do. Simon says, Lord, which way do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Oh, this way? Okay, I'll do that. So we don't determine whether or not we're in God's will based on opposition. However, we need to be mature and understand every time God moves me into something new, there's going to be something to overcome. On our leadership team, we like to call it the faith gap. If you've ever sat in on any of our leadership calls that we do on Tuesday nights, we, we talk about the faith gap. That there's a gap between where I'm at and where God wants me to be. And I need to possess the faith from his word to cross that gap and go where he wants us to go. We dream big dreams around here. I know there's, you know, however many people are in here today and there's however many folks are watching online. I don't see that. I mean, I see you. I love you. I care for you. I see you. But I see 10 times more of you. I see a church of 500. I see a church of 750. I see a church of 1,000. I see a church of 1,500. I see a church that is reshaping Boone. Can I soapbox for a second and just be bold about Jesus? I see a church that God has orchestrated according to his plan that is going to make an impact in our community that time will not be able to erase. 
I see future generations of leaders coming out of our church. I see future generations. You know, kids are playing kickball. I don't care about the kickball. I care about who they're going to be 20 years from now and what they're going to do to shape the world that we live in and this place that we love so much that we call home. That's called vision. And you know what? We're far away from that. We may not be where we see that we will be. There may be an obstacle in our way. That's exactly how God likes it. Because then, when we do the thing he's told us to do, which we in the natural can't do at all, he gets to have the glory. God gets the glory when Goliath hits the ground. Amen? Not David, not the stones, God. Jesus gets the credit as we grow. So we always talk about a faith gap. When God's ready to take you forward, you'll be faced with something to overcome. You you doing okay? I got three more points. You ready for them? Number four is actually a question rather than a statement. How do lobsters grow? How do lobsters grow? The kids are looking at me like, hmm? Do you know how lobsters grow? Lobsters, like many other sea creatures, mollusks, if you want to know the right terminology, lobsters have what's called an exoskeleton or a shell. And that shell is the thing that determines, it's the container that determines the lobster's capacity and the lobster's size. If you leave a lobster alone and you don't catch it, you don't spear it, you don't put it in a trap, and you just let it grow year over year, it will shed its skin and put new, you know, develop new, a new shell, a new skin, and fill up that skin, and then it will shed that shell, and then it will create a bigger shell, and it will fill that up, and then it'll shed it again, and you can catch, catch a lobster that's five or six or seven or however many, I don't know how long they live, but it's a while. You can catch a lobster that's multiple years old, and it could be huge. You see, they have an exoskeleton. They don't have any bones. Praise God, it's easier to eat. Their shell is a container, and watch this. When it gets too small, it sheds. When it gets too small, it equals discomfort. Anybody ever try to put on some clothes that were too small? <laughs> Thanksgiving came around, and you just, you know, let yourself go, and, you know. Then the next day, those jeans just don't quite fit the way they used to. It's time to grow. That's what happens to the lobster. He gets bigger, and his, his shell, his, his exoskeleton begins to put pressure on him and create restraints, and the restraint gets uncomfortable. So what is it time to do? Time to shed the shell and move up. I like what Rabbi Daniel Lappin says. If you've never heard of Daniel Lappin, you should check him out. He says... If lobsters had doctors, they'd never grow. If lobsters had doctors, they'd never grow. Because they'd go to the doctor and say, Doc, this is killing me, man. I'm in pain. What do you got for me? 
and the doctor would pacify the lobster, and the lobster would stay the same size. Can I submit to you that when we, uh, when we accept this limitation as normal, we stop growing? When we accept that we've hit a boundary in our lives and we've grown to, the, to fit in this container that we're in and now we just need something to pacify our pain, if we do that, we'll stop growing? Maybe the discomfort that you're experiencing is just an invitation from God to let go of some stuff and grow up into what he has for you. Maybe the discomfort is not an intrinsic problem with you. Maybe it's not that you are so uniquely broken that God can't fix you. How many of you know the lies the enemy tells? Maybe it's not that you're just so dysfunctional and so completely broken and God just can't do anything with you. Maybe you're just uncomfortable and it's time for you to let go of some stuff and grow up into who God's called you to be. Is that too hard? Too harsh? All right. What else does the shell do? What the shell? (laughs) What else does the shell do? It protects the lobster. It's its defense. Can I submit to you that maybe the thing you think is protecting you is just might be the thing that's stopping you from growing? Don't don't let me bring it down to where we live now. Don't let me bring it down to practical. Maybe the thing, the the defense that you've put up is the shell that's stopping you from growing. Maybe you got to just get a little bit vulnerable. Don't use the V word, Pastor. (laughs) You see, faith is required. Growth takes transition. Faith is required for that transition. There's going to be some obstacles for us to overcome. And and we need to be like the lobster and let go of the things that hold us back. Number five, I'm almost through. Number five, the thing that intimidates you when God invites you to grow, the thing that intimidates you is often the only thing standing between you and the fulfillment of God's promise in your life. Sometimes we think that the battle that we're facing is just forever. That that the giant we're dealing with, that there's a hundred more giants behind him just like it, and we get weary. I'm here to tell you, when the devil throws his best shot at you, he just threw his best shot. He doesn't have more best shots. Come on. Y'all got a hold of that? Look at me real quick. When the devil throws his best shot at you, he just threw his best shot at you. He's got no more best shots. That's why the last shot was called his best. Because you only have one best. Right? Come on, y'all. We think oftentimes that the obstacle in front of us is an infinite obstacle. One thing I know for certain, nothing stays the same way forever. You're in a battle. You're in a challenge. We're getting ready to grow as a church and increase our influence, and God's taking us into new things, and it may feel discomfort. It may feel uncomfortable for a little while. It's not going to last forever. The uncomfortable, the, the discomfort, the lack of comfort is temporary. It's just an obstacle, and oftentimes it's the last obstacle 
that's in our way before we step into the promise. Number six, this is my last point. Number six. First John chapter five, verse four, if you would please put it up on the screen. First John chapter five, verse four. We quoted it at the beginning. First John five, four. I could quote it to you, but I want to wait till you see it on the screen. You going to do all right? There we go. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Can I stop there for just a second and ask you, are you born of God this morning? Have you been born again? Has your spirit been recreated? In the likeness of Christ. Are you a new creation on the inside? Have you been born again this morning? Those watching on the internet, have you been born again? Are you, are you born of God? Because if so, I've got good news. No, I've got great news. I've got really, really great news. If you have been born of God, you overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's so important that John wrote this in the past tense. Do you remember when David got ready to go out and face Goliath and Saul tried to give him his armor? Just stick with me, I'm almost done, guys. You remember when, when David went out and, and Saul tried to give him his armor? What did he say? He said, I, I can't use these things I have not tested them. I haven't proven them. He said, the thing that I have proven is this slingshot. It worked against the lion. It worked against the bear. I'm going to use the thing that I've proven. I'm going to use the thing that's been battle tested, and I know that it works. Your faith has, past tense, overcome the world. The thing that God is calling us as a church to move into and what he is requiring of us is that we use our faith. That faith has already overcome the world. It's already been battle tested. It's already proven itself to work. You're not using something that hasn't been tested. You're not, God's not asking you to do something that he hasn't already proven over and over and over and over and over again in his word. The Bible says he's not a respecter of persons. God will, will, God will move on behalf of anybody that uses faith because the faith has already been proven. It's already been tested. We're being called to move forward in the things of God. The purpose of God that he has for this church is exciting. I want to tell you, I've been praying and seeking the Lord as I often do in the fall. I start to pray and ask God, was, what is the vision statement for the coming year? Because I, I don't, I don't want to just think about the here and now. I want to think about where we're going. Where we're at is great. Where we're going is better. Lord, show me what better looks like. Show me what's the next step. What's the next destination? Where's the next place that we're going, Father? Show me so I can communicate it to your people so that we can lead people effectively and move into what God has for us. I've been praying and asking the Lord, What's next year's vision statement? 2020, our vision statement was a transformation of life. 
God gave it to me. I was standing right about here asking the Lord, what's the vision for 2020? And he said, transformation of life. It was October 2019. And boy, did life transform in 2020. (laughs) Didn't it? Life got different all of a sudden. And then in 2021, we renamed our church from High Country Christian Church to Hope Church. And in January of that year, we announced it. And we've been rocking out as Hope Church since that announcement. And the vision that God gave me, the statement that the Lord gave me for that was what you see printed on that sign right there. Hope grows here. That was the vision for God, from God for 2021. Do you want to know what the vision for 2022 is? You have to be here on February, in February. <laughs> We're going to talk about it the first Sunday in February. It's going to be great. It's going to be really great. Plan to attend now. I know it's like five months away, but hey, plan to attend now. I've already got inklings in my heart about what it is. I already am hearing from God about where he wants our church to go. And let me tell you something. It's awesome. It's exciting. It's going to be bigger than you know. It's going to be bigger than we know. And it's going to require us to reach. It's going to require us to stretch out. Pastor Ron said it when he was here last week about the man with the withered hand. That Jesus saw the man with the withered hand. And what did he say? Stretch out that hand. Stretch out. Oh, but God, it's so, it's way more comfortable for me to keep this withered hand hidden from everybody. It's way more comfortable for me to continue going through life the way I've been going through it. Oh, but God is saying, yeah, but there's a miracle on the other side of your stretch. There's a miracle on the other side of your reach. Can we reach for what God has for us? How many of you ready to be Jordan crossers? Some priests that are going to get their feet wet and go into the water. We need you. We need you. I can't do it by myself. Brianne cannot do it by herself. Our leadership teams, they can't do it by themselves. We need everybody. Amen. Can y'all stand up to your feet? We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.